Eagles Entertainment. With the 15th pick in the NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select... You're listening to the Journey to the Draft Podcast. Welcome to the Journey to the Draft Podcast, presented by Life Brand. I'm your host, Fran Duffy, and we've got a loaded show today. Three guests to join us here, and we're going to start with pick six, Greg Cosell. We're talking six players, focusing on the spine of the defense. We're going to talk about some linebackers. We're going to talk about some safeties. Really fun discussion. Hope you learn a lot here from Greg Cosell right at the top of the show. After that, we've got the return of the blueprint, where this week I catch up with Washington Commanders beat writer Ben Standing, who covers the team for The Athletic. Ben does a great job of really kind of outlining the way that Ron Rivera and Martin Mayhew and Marty Herney really look at the draft process and uh, the, some of the players they may be targeting there, they're picking right now at number 11, just a few picks ahead of the Eagles. So Eagles fans should be looking at to see what their division rival, the Washington Commanders, will be doing here on draft weekend. Then we've got Draft Buzz, where uh, Ben Fennell and I, we're going to look at a mock draft from The Athletic. We're also going to talk about bargain players, some comparisons you can make from day one to day two to day three on players of similar kinds of uh, body types and skill sets. So fun discussion there in Draft Buzz. Then we've got a uh, a couple questions there to wrap things up in draft mailbag. Again, the best way to hit us up here on the show, head on over to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, wherever you listen. Leave us a rating, leave us a comment, leave us a mock draft, leave us rankings. We'll break it all down here in an upcoming episode. Let's get into it. I'm excited to start this episode now. Greg Cosell in Pick 6. Now it's time for Pick 6. All right, excited to start things off here with Greg Cosell for Pick 6. And Greg, like I mentioned at the top of the show, we're going to focus uh, on the spine of the defense here today. We're going to start with the off-ball backers and the safeties. And we'll actually start with the safeties, I should say. Uh, okay. So the defenders working up the middle of the defense. And let's start with Lewis Seen from Georgia. Uh, uh, player you and I have both studied um, a really fun watch just because very. his play personality is so infectious. He's a really fun player uh, to study. One of the more physical players in this draft. Uh, give us your take on Lewis Seen and how he translates to the league. You know, I can't believe you just said what you said, because here's what I typed in my transition. I said, right. Seen is a fascinating evaluation and a really fun player to watch. That's yeah, just what is. I typed, because <laughs> that's exactly what he is. I mean, he's got great length. You see that right away, the, just the way he's built and the way in which he plays the game. I mean, he's got an urgent playing personality. He's an attitude guy. He plays with a tempo on every snap. Boy, does he attack downhill and does he attack laterally? I mean, his play speed is really good. I know he ran a a great 40 at the combine. Um, You don't really need to know that just watching his tape because the play speed and his stride length, because he's over 6'2", those things often can go together. And you see that um, he delivers physical strikes and hits but he's a straight line linear athlete. That's that's what his game is. Um, now he did match up man to man on tight ends in Georgia's defense. Um, there's not a lot of really good tight ends, obviously in college football, even in the SEC. So you question, can he do that at the NFL level? Certainly can he do that with tight ends that are split outside the formation? I think that's probably a question. Um, he did play some post safety. Uh, I don't know if that's his best uh, trait. I don't know your thought on that. Um, he certainly can, you know, can build up speed and run. Uh, but, I, you know, a lot of times guys who are built like he is, they're a little high cut, they're long legged. They don't necessarily have that immediate transition to change of direction. But he certainly, once he starts moving, that that play speed and that stride length and just his overall aggressiveness, it's it's pretty impressive. 
I would say of the so we're going to do the three safeties here at the top. We're going to do Lewis Seen. We're going to do Daxton Hill. And we're going to do Brian Cook. Now uh, we're not doing Kyle Hamilton, a player that we all recognize. Uh, I think globally that he is uh, the the premier safety in this draft. I would say in terms of style, it feels like Seen is the is the most similar uh, to Kyle Hamilton. Do you feel like that's fair of the three guys that we're going to talk about today? Uh, in just in um, terms of like what the usage could be, and, and when you look at his body type and skill set. That's a, a very interesting question. Um, Cook somewhat could be like that, I think. Um, uh, and we'll get to Cook, you know, momentarily. Uh, you know, Hamilton just has, even though Scene is six two and a quarter, Hamilton is just a really big man. I mean, yeah, that, difference of, legs, yeah. that difference of two inches seems like a difference right. of eight inches. You know, right. it's just it's just the way Hamilton looks on tape. Yeah. So, well, you know. I guess what I meant was in terms of uh, like the way I look at Lewis Seen and like the way that he's best used in the NFL, I kind of look at, at similarly uh, with with Kyle Hamilton. And, and when I look at Seen, uh, everything you mentioned, I, I 100 percent agree with. I, I love the, the way that he could play as a top down defender. Uh, that's really where yeah. that's his bread and butter. I mean, that's where uh, play him from depth. Uh, probably more so in split safety, which that's that's what I was going to say. The NFL are doing so. I, I do feel like he can play in the post. Does he live in the post? I don't know if he needs to live there in the post. Uh, I don't know how many teams these days live live that way anyway. Uh, but I do think he could, he could hang back there and be fine. Uh, I don't know if I like him necessarily like matching on tight ends and playing in reverse all that often. He can do it. Uh, but that to me, like just the, the ability to play from depth as a top down defender, uh, he's, you know, that's uh, his game. Yeah, that's his game. That's where it's, yeah, that's where yeah, I don't think he plays backward anywhere near as well. Um, yeah. But he's an attitude defender. He's got an alpha dog mindset that always plays well in the NFL, always plays well with the secondary coach. So and I agree with you about cover four. The only concern in cover four would be in two by two sets when you have a speed receiver at number yeah, two sure. that would attack him vertically right off the ball and force him to have to open up and turn. Uh, but, hey, that's the reason he's not a top 10 player is he, there are going to be some limitations that you do see on tape. Yeah, and one of the big things that you and I talk about all the time is, uh, especially when we get to defense, especially when we get to the back seven, uh, the styles and, and the fits schematically for all of these players are going to be so, so important. And so when you look at, if you're a team and you say, you know, if you're a fan of a team that needs a safety, quote unquote, you're going to look at Lewisine and you're going to look at Daxon Hill and say, oh, well, as long as we get one of those two, we're good. Right. In reality, that's not how teams are going to look at this because you're going to look at Daxon Hill and his skill set and what he brings is going to be different than what Seen brings to the table. Talk about Daxon Hill and what you like from him on film. Well, Daxon Hill is a fascinating guy because, first of all, he's a great – he's a really smooth, fluid, easy athlete. I mean, he's he's another guy that when you just watch him move, you go, wow. This, you know, he, plus he's six feet. So he's got some length to him. Um, he ran really well at the combine. Um, but the thing that was fascinating is, and I think this is why it, it, it plays well in the league is he played safety in their base defense. He played field safety. So safety to the wide side of the field in Michigan's base defense, and then moved to slot corner in their sub defenses. Now there were a couple of times that he got beat at slot corner. Um, I know, um, uh, Dotson got him a couple of times. Um, uh, I, I can't remember. I think Olave might have gotten him once too. No, I know. I was going to say he had to shadow Jackson Smith and Jigba from Ohio State. Uh, that's and, right. That's know, right. That, yeah. that kid went off for uh, against a bunch of teams, especially in the back half last year. And I thought Daxon Hill more than held his that's own. That's right. Game. That's right. That's right. That's a good. Yeah. Um, so to me, I, I think that Hill in today's NFL is an outstanding prospect because of his ability to play both safety 
and slot corner. In fact, before I say any more about him, I almost thought that he had the gifts, uh, the athletic gifts and talents and traits that if you wanted him to be an outside corner, he could do that. Yep. You know, because he's six feet, 190. Um, he's very athletic. Um, he's smooth. He's fluid. There was some twitch and suddenness to his movement. There were explosive traits. He played fast yet controlled. Um, he had body control. He had balance. I really like this kid. Now, again, you and I aren't going to interview him. We don't know the other parts, you know, but there has to be some mental element here because if he's playing two positions, there has to be some mental element involved. Um, I don't know where he's going to get drafted. I thought overall, and I'm just saying what I've seen and, and I've seen most of the guys who are considered top guys. I think he's one of the best overall defensive prospects in the draft. I mean, given the, the way that he can transition, essentially playing two positions for you. Yeah, I, and that's the thing is the, the, the value that a player like that uh, can bring to a defense, as, especially in today's game where you're going to have to match up. So if you are uh, a team that likes to play man-to-man, I think you're going to look at Daxton Hill a little bit differently than you would uh, Lewis seen probably a little bit yep. differently than you would look Kyle Hamilton, to be honest, and say like, oh, oh yeah, you know, this guy ha- has that ability to match up for us. And we're not worried about him playing in reverse. Now you're going to give up a little bit in terms of playing downhill, which I don't think he's bad at. But again, it's just not as strong as Lewis seen or not as strong as Kyle Hamilton. But no, but he's uh, not bad. It's not a weakness. It's in not a weakness. Game. Exactly. No. No, um, but um, that's what that's to me. That, that's what makes Daxon Hill uh, such a fascinating player. Uh, now, you mentioned Brian Cook. What are, what are your thoughts here on Cook and where does he best fit in, in this discussion? Well, I, I actually re- really like, you know, you know how every year you watch guys you don't really know much about. And um, all of a sudden, you, you know, you go, wow, I really like this kid. I thought that he was as good a safety as I've seen. And again, I want to just preface that by saying I've not seen 40 safeties. I, as good a safety as I've seen up to this point, um, playing the run both from a box overhang alignment and coming downhill from the back end. He was a really strong tackler. And very rarely do you see that in college football. You see guys even seen, you know, he flew downhill with incredible aggressiveness. And often he just kind of threw himself, you know, at the guy. And, and a lot of times it worked in college That's football. Right. Um but I thought Cook, I don't know what you thought. I thought he was a really strong tackler. He came to balance. He had body control. He squared up. He did not miss guys when he tackled. Um, and I thought that he played with an attitude. To me, he's a tempo setter for a defense. He's physical. He's competitively tough. Um, you know, I think that there are two main questions with Cook as you transition him to the league and it will impact where he's drafted. Can he effectively match up man-to-man to quality receiving tight ends, especially when detached from the formation? He obviously has the size and length, but can he do that? And can he be a viable post-safety if you want that to be part of your foundational defense? Yeah. And when I say that, not every snap, obviously, but can he do that at times? So in other words, can he be part of an interchangeable safety duo? Or does he essentially have to be a quarters player or a box slash overhang player? Yeah, and to me, I, one point that you made, I think it's really important, is that uh, to say that a safety is a really good run defender, uh, that you're not telling the whole story there. You talked about how you, you have to be able to defend the run from multiple different alignments. Playing it as a top-down player, playing as a, from depth, is different than being lined up in the box and playing in traffic or playing yep. in, in the slot. Uh, what, how Daxton Hill and Lewis Seen play the, sl- play, play the run 
is going to be completely different from, from how uh, Cam Chancellor played the run, right? So uh, right, right. in terms of what those guys are asked to do, and I agree with you that Brian Cook showed that ability to do all of that, and that's what makes him so fascinating. I thought he was really good against tight ends that he saw uh, on his schedule. I watched three or four games of his. I, I still have a little bit more to do uh, yep. before the draft gets here, but I thought that he did a really good job in those tight end matchup situations, and uh, that is such a big part of the equation as well in today's game. No, without question. Um, so I, I, he was a player I really, really like. I'm so curious to see where he gets drafted because I think it's easy to pigeonhole him and say, oh, he's a box player. I think he's more than that. And I think he can be more than that. Um, and I, 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 my final note on him, and again, time will always tell, you know, we're all, all of us are wrong at times, obviously, but I said he will become a starter early in his NFL career. And as he gains more experience, he would develop into a multi-dimensional safety. It would not surprise me if a couple of years down the road, we are talking about Cook as one of the better safeties in the game. I really like him. And I think he eventually will be able to do it all. Great. Well, we talk about safety and how difficult it is to, to transition those players. It's a really kind of... Uh, uh, you know, study them and really get a good sense of the overall evaluation from college to the NFL. As time has gone on, I, I've really tried to kind of hone this down into essentially like checking boxes for guys and say, okay, well, yep. uh, you know, do, can he uh, play top down? Uh, does he have ball skills? Does he have instincts? Can he play against the run in the box? Uh, can he match up against the tight end? The more that you can do, and we say this all the time, and it's like one of those things that people say is like, oh, the more you can do, and then you just kind of trail off. So to me, like when you look at especially a spot like safety, we can get into it as well uh, at linebacker. But literally, like the more you could do, the more flexibility you give your defensive coordinator, the more likely you are to be able to stay on the field for all three downs and be an impact player. Well, you just nailed the right word, flexibility. The last thing defensive coordinators want is to have to limit their playbook because safeties can't do certain things. I had this conversation with Steve Spagnolo the year he was out and he used to come watch tape at NFL Films with us on the matchup show. And that's one of the things I asked him. I asked him about the safety position. And he said that you are really limited with what you can do in a lot of areas defensively from a playbook perspective, when you have safeties that are really defined in, in what they can and can do, that you want interchangeable safeties. It's one reason why the Buffalo Bills defense is so good with Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde, because both those guys can play everything you just spoke about, you yeah, know, without sure. repeating everything you just said. Right. I think Cook can do that. And, you know, every coach wants that because they want their playbook open from a defensive perspective. All right, well, I think you could say some similar things about the linebacker position. And three guys we're going to hit on here. Some differing skill sets, but some guys a little bit more alike than others. We're going to hit on Chad Muma from Wyoming, Christian Harris from Alabama, and Darian Beavers from Cincinnati. So uh, let's start with Muma, uh, the player from from Wyoming. Um, really, I mean, had an outstanding season. It was, it was yeah. great last year as well uh, for Wyoming. Uh, what did you see from Muma, and how do you feel that he makes the transition to the league? Yeah, he'll get the level of competition label lobbied at him because he played at Wyoming. Obviously, he did not play at a Power 5 school. Um, another guy I thought was kind of fun to watch. High intensity level, competitive snap after snap, velocity player. I mean, he he, he was a see-it-and-go player as a linebacker. Made a lot of tackles outside the box, plus play speed, good range. Um, I thought, and I'm curious your thoughts on this, I thought he had a pretty strong feel for key and diagnose. I thought he saw and went. And I, I thought his, I thought his reactions were consistently quick within the box. 
Um, he showed a good feel working with in confined space, even though he's tall. I thought that he, he had a feel for slipping blocks and playing off blocks. Um, you know, is he a sudden explosive athlete? Probably not. Some might suggest that his high cut frame, which it is a little bit, could could cause some change of direction and balance and body control issues as he advances and plays with better athletes. Um he didn't really match up, you know, in man-to-man against tight end, so we did not see that at Wyoming. But I really liked watching his tape. I think he can become a quality starting stacked linebacker in the NFL. You know, the, the player I kind of thought of when I watched him, very curious your opinion. You may not have thought of this at all, but now that I throw it out, I I, I said, is there a comparison to be made to Pete Werner coming Ooh. out of Ohio State a year ago? Interesting. Uh, it's not a bad. That's not a bad comparison at all. And Werner, uh, like Muma, I mean, Werner, Werner was such an instinctive zone coverage player. Uh, I think Muma is excellent in, in zone coverage. So do I. He, he was not asked to, to man up against the tight end. Uh, that's just not the way that they play defense. But uh, watching him in coverage, I thought he just had, he was so natural. And he uh, I mean, he was a defensive back in high school. So he's got some of those coverage chops in him. But yep. I, I think when you look at Muma, uh, he, he does. He checks a, a lot of those boxes that I think a lot of people are going to really like. And like uh, Brian Cook, uh, we talked about it with the safety group with Muma. He is so good as a tackler. Very, oh, very yeah. rarely miss, yep. runs through contact consistently. He's hitting guys with his chest uh, and finishes. He's he's a really, really impressive downhill tackler. Yeah. And I thought, you know, sometimes you can watch a guy on defense, the way in which he plays. And you could tell that Muma was a process player, yep. that the whole process of playing the position and how to go about it was important to him. And it's funny you say that because I, I typed in a, in one of my strengths. I said, showed explosion and power on contact as a tackler. I mean, he he was a good tackler. So a guy that I think you would put in the same bucket with him. And, so, and some people like this player more than Muma. Some people like Muma uh, more than this player. And that's Christian Harris from Alabama. Uh, Harris, like Muma, also a high school safety that made the transition uh, to linebacker in college. Give me your thoughts on, on Harris and how you view him moving to the league. Crazy that he's out of Baton Rouge and was not recruited by LSU, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, he went. I mean, he went to uh, uh, University Lab High School and in Baton Rouge, which they've got a ton of alum and a lot of big time LSU players. I mean, I know like Marcus Spears went there. Uh, yep. I've got a list, a long list of LSU talent that, that went there, and then Harris was not recruited by them. Yeah, and you're right. He played safety and corner in high school, which you know, not linebacker. But it, it, it look, it obviously speaks to his ability to assimilate information and understand that he came right in and played it as a freshman at linebacker. So he's obviously got the ability. He's got to be, you know, football smart. Um, now he's a guy that moves really well. Um, great athleticism, movement traits. Um, I thought he was really good uh, as a, as an underneath zone defender. I thought he could man match on tight ends and backs. There were times he matched wide receivers. Um you know, he's an easy movement guy. He's got natural quickness in the box. Um, he, it lo- everything to me looks easy with him. Yeah. He could scrape and flow. He could avoid blocks without losing his, in- his gap integrity. Um, I, there's an explosive element that's almost hidden because every, because he, he moves so easily. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Does, sure. does that make sense to you? Does, you know, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, cause he, he's kind of twitchy and sudden, but he didn't look it, but he is, right. you know, <laughs> Um, and I think he'll be an ascending player because he did not play linebacker until he got to Alabama. Yep. And that's the thing is like to, uh, if you just want to like not even watch any of the film and just like make a bet on a profile, 
uh, the, okay, the, the highly athletic former safety who had to play right away for Nick Saban and showed the ability to step in and do it uh, right away at linebacker at the most important position in that defense. Like, yeah, I feel pretty good uh, about that kind of profile. Um, you know, so there's a lot, a lot to like there with Christian Harris. And like I said, I think that he and Muma would probably be, from a usage standpoint, would be used in a similar way. Now, that changes, I think, a little bit when you get to Darian Beavers from Cincinnati, uh, a guy that really did a, a whole lot of different things over the course of his career, both at UConn yeah. and with the Bearcats. Uh, what did you see from Beavers? And I think he's an easy guy to say that, oh, he doesn't fit today's NFL. I think that's right. an easy thing to say, and I think too many people will say that. And again, I'm not sitting here and I'm going to tell you that Darian Beavers is going to be an all-pro Hall of Famer, but he's one of those guys to me and obviously Cincinnati had five guys. So I watched a lot of tape and I think you have to watch a lot of Beavers because he's not one of those explosive dynamic athletes where you go, wow, just look at that guy. You know, obviously his size does jump off the film because he's six, four and almost two forty. Um, but he's not, you know, an explosive mover. So you don't, that's not your reaction. Um, and, and I even said that in my transition, I said, you have to watch a lot of snaps to really get a feel and a complete picture of his game and what he brings to the table. He's a multi-dimensional, multi-positional player. He lined up at stackbacker. He was an edge rusher. I don't know if you saw the, the sack he had against Notre Dame, where if you didn't know who he was, you thought this guy could be an edge pass rusher. Um, he was a boundary slot defender. He was assignment sound. He was execution efficient. He played the run really well. Um, he, I thought he played with his eyes really effectively. And while he wasn't dynamic and explosive in terms of, you know, what we think of range, he didn't make plays with range because he's so long and he has stride length. Um, you know, when I watched him, I thought, I thought of a, a Bill Belichick, to be honest with no you. Doubt. I, no question. I thought the way Belichick uses Dante Hightower, the way he used Kyle Van Noy. Van Noy's you know, you know and you know, another name I wrote down actually was uh, Jawan Bentley. Yeah, I could see that too. That's that's I could see that for sure. Um, I think he can do many things within the context of a multiple defensive approach. You know, so I think he's going to find a place in the league. It'll be a function of team and scheme. But if you play to what he is, I think he can be a strong contributor. Yeah, I think that he's going to be fascinating just to see where he ends up. And there are a yep. couple of the, uh, you know, the the strong side linebacker types that in this draft, but it, it, it's, it's almost tough to just pigeonhole him as that because I agree has done some of the, some of those other things. I mean, that's the thing is like when you do watch him and you've watched the first few plays, you're like, man, like he's not, he's not super rangy. He's not super athletic, but then you watch him play in reverse and you're like, man, like his eyes are always in the right place. And he, he breaks on throws so fast that he yep. gets there. And like you said, I mean, uh, he's a long strider. He tested better than I think people thought he, he tested better than I thought he would. Um, yeah, he's he's an interesting player. He, there's no question well, about it. Uh, I talked with uh, Bobby Carpenter, the ex, uh, you know, Ohio State backer who played in the sure. league for years. He obviously lives in uh, Columbus, but he did a number of Cincinnati games um, as a as a uh, an analyst. And again, it's a word we throw around, but I knew what he meant. And you're saying the same thing. He said he has phenomenal instincts. Yeah. It just yeah. seems like he's always in the right place. He it never seems like he's playing fast or out of control. Hmm. You know, everything seems comfortable with him. And uh, I just, like I said, you just have to keep watching him because he's not going to jump off the tape, but he's hes just, you hate to be cliched, but, you know, I think people know what you mean. He's just a good football player. 
Yep, no doubt. Well, uh, all these guys will be used in a variety of different ways. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch and see uh, how they're all deployed in the NFL. Well, Greg, uh, thanks so much for joining us once again here on the Journey of the Draft podcast presented by LifeBrand. We'll talk to you next week, uh, a couple more weeks now, Greg, uh, until the draft is here. Thanks, Rant. All 32 teams are always under construction. How are they being built? Let's check out the blueprint. Well, excited to welcome here to the Journey of the Draft podcast for this week's Blueprint segment, Ben Standing, who does a great job of uh, breaking down and and really covering the Washington, I wanted to say the Washington football team, but the Washington Commanders uh, for The Athletic. You can check out Ben's work uh, on Twitter, at Ben Standing. Ben, thanks so much for joining us here on the show. Brian, I appreciate it. Trust me, everybody still gets it wrong. I, I, every time I do my podcast, especially the first few weeks, I had to restart it every time because I kept saying football team or who knows what I was saying. So it, it's going to happen. All right, well, let's get into talking about uh, this football team and this franchise. Uh, we'll talk basically how we always start uh, each of these segments. Three trends that stand out when you're looking at this regime. And uh, when I say this regime, obviously, they've had some turnover the last few years. You have uh, Ron Rivera and Marty Herney, who were together for a long time in Carolina. Martin Mayhew came over from the San Francisco 49ers last offseason. Uh, so now he is the general manager. When you look at those three people and you're trying to build a mock draft, we'll go kind of uh, point by point here. What is the number one thing uh, that fans should keep in mind here when they're talking about the Washington football team and who they could uh, be targeting here this uh, this spring? Well, I'll go with my first point. This is not going to help clarify much. But my (laughs) first point would be there's a lot of cooks in the kitchen. Okay, Mm -hmm. and this is important because I think like when you're I don't know who else you're talking to for this, but if you're, say, talking to somebody who's covering Buffalo and getting a sense of Brandon Bean or maybe Kansas City with Andy Reid sort of having final say. It might be easier because they have a track record and they're it's a pretty pretty clear, distinct leader. This is different here. Now, Ron Rivera is in that coach-centric model, but he is more of a CEO type than he is a guy who is like all in on all the details at all times. That, that happens in the regular season as well with his coordinators. Furthermore, you have uh, Martin Mayhew is the GM. I, I, I just air quoted here, but you can't see, but he is the general manager. Let's be clear. But at the same point, he, I always view it as he's a little more on the pro side. Then you have Marty Herney, who was the two-time GM with the Panthers, um, who worked with obviously Ron Rivera early on at, early, at the beginning and the end of Ron Rivera's time there. He's here as well. You also have Chris Polian, a former GM here, and you have Eric Stokes, who's had an assistant GM title, who's heavily involved. Furthermore, you have a scouting department that is largely from the previous Jay Gruden regime. So my point is that there's a lot of different voices here. And while Rivera has final say, you know, as far as I know, he's only been to two active pro days so far on this circuit that we have seen him at. Has he been elsewhere? Well, we'll find out to a degree. But, you know, what I mean, like he, the information is being presented to him. He's not going out there and like, I don't know how much tape he's breaking down. I mean, he's breaking down tape. He's talking to people. But if he has final say, it's based on the information presented to him. So I guess my first trend is just to say it's kind of hard to look at them and say definitively, what do we think may happen the way it may be different with certain other uh, people, if that makes any kind of sense. It does. Uh, I, In fact, I remember uh, talking with people that have covered the Panthers uh, when Ron Rivera was down there and when Marty Kearney was the GM and just trying to get a sense of uh, in this kind of segment, what are the, what are the, what is their thought process like? Who are the types of players they go after? Uh, what are the trends? And really the, the answer was there really is, it hasn't been a trend. And I think that kind of speaks to that as if you have uh, a lot of different voices in there, well, for this pick, it might lean this way towards this person. And this pick might lead more towards that. So uh, that is interesting to know uh, right off the top. What would be number two for you? Well, so uh, 
in terms of players, Rivera always mentions position flexibility, yep. particularly along the lines, guys who play in the secondary. Maybe you could even say that with, with some of his uh, receivers and such. And just so for a quick example, I'm looking, um, I reported uh, on Tuesday, some of their top 30 uh, visits, guys coming in, uh, including, I don't know, how do I say his last name, the Central Michigan offensive guard? Bernard Raymond. No, the other guy. Oh, Luke Gedeke. Luke Gedeke, right. So guy, guy plays tackle, could play guard, yep. like a bunch of guys like that. So I think that's something to keep in mind. That is really something he emphasizes a, a, a lot, even in the skill player sense. So they draft Antonio Gibson in the third round in Ronda Vera's first year, a wide receiver in college who they shifted to running back. So um, you look at the set at the secondary, they drafted Cam Curl in Rivera's first year, a guy that has played, played all over the place in college has been there sort of what they call a Buffalo nickel, which is sort of a slot corner, but also plays near a line of scrimmage. And now he's playing strong safety has played free safety. So I think that's something to keep in mind. He generally likes guys who have that type of ability. I'm not saying it's the, the, the number one thing he wants, but it is something he emphasizes all the time. And he made a, I remember like when he first got hired, he was talking about the versatility all the time. We want to be more versatile, be more versatile. Uh, there were people that were talking about, oh, does that mean they're going to be more multiple in terms of their defensive fronts? And uh, yeah, I, that, that's something I'm glad that I, ha- I had it in my notes. I'm so glad uh, that I feel good about having that in my notes since that was something that you brought up. Uh, what would be your third one here? So again, part of the reason why it's a little challenging to sort of look at what they've done and gauge a history. I mean, Rivera, this will be his third off season. The first off season was with a different front office, essentially. He inherited the one that was left behind with Jay Gruden. Kyle Smith was running that show. He's now the assist, uh, the number two, essentially, in Atlanta to Terry Fontenot. So it's hard to take that one. Then you look at what last year when you had Mayhew and Herney in there. But my one takeaway in sort of listening to Rivera last year when it came down to what were they going to do in the first round, I'm, I'm not saying I was the only one, but for me, it became linebacker became sort of the, the where I was looking at a lot. Mm-hmm. Jamin Davis or Owusu Karamo were the two guys uh, I was focusing on. And in part because Rivera, just I could just tell the way he kept talking during the season about that position, mm-hmm. a former linebacker himself, that he really needed one. And the, what I'm kind of getting to is even though if you, if you say, hey, Ron, do you, are you a best player available guy or are you a need guy? He's going to say best player available. I think they all kind of do. It makes the most sense. Because it, it, you're telling your audience, oh, this guy's great. This is the best player we thought it was. Whereas if you say need, you're going to kind of go with, well, maybe you didn't take the better player. You took somebody you felt you needed, and that can be maybe not as good. I think he is more – I think he's – when he gets something in his head, I think he can become a little more of a need guy. Hmm. And in terms of this year, what he's talked about since they've uh, acquired Carson Wentz is the need to get more people around Carson Wentz whether that's offensive playmakers or offensive line. Mm. So I'm just saying if you're looking at the board and you consider what some of the options are, as we'll get into what what are their needs for this offseason, I'm not saying they wouldn't take best player available. I'm just saying I I feel like there may be, if if Rivera does have the final say, which he does, and he makes the push, the need may trump the the best player available. And that is something I feel like you see so often with uh, when you have coaches that do have that final say is, 
coach is going to look at, hey, look, if I have to line up to play and play tomorrow, like I need this. So we're, I'm going to go and get uh, that player. So I guess that's not too surprising uh, that they would operate from that standpoint. Uh, real quick, before we do get into uh, some of the needs here for the commanders uh, here in 2022, are there any schools or any coaching connections that you're like, you know what, this is, this is really important to note, uh, whether you're looking at Herney and Mayhew or at Ron Rivera and his defensive coaching staff saying uh, these would be some schools just to kind of keep in mind for down the road? Sure. Well, it's funny. A few years ago, Alabama, they had Alabama guys all over the place and they still do on the off on the defensive line. It almost seems too simplistic to say Ohio state, but let's go with Ohio state. When you consider Chase young, now granted he was the second pick in the draft. It's not that complicated, but they also drafted Terry McLaurin. And that was with a lot of the scouts who are still here. Uh, there was also the Dwayne Haskins thing that, 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 that existed. Uh, and one of the two pro days that Ron Rivera has attended that we know of was the Ohio state one, which is interesting because that was the week that all the quarterbacks were basically performing and they, that team does not have a quarterback for this draft for this draft, right? (laughs) For the next one, but not for this one. And that was the first one that Rivera went to. Now, part of it was geography. He went to Cincinnati the following day and it's obviously easier to go to those two. And Ohio State, though, of course, has a bunch of interesting players in this draft, including two receivers in the first round. Uh, there was a picture one of my colleagues uh, at the at Bill Landis, uh, who covers Ohio State, took of uh, Rivera talking one-on-one with Chris Olave. So I just feel like Ohio State seems to make a lot of sense um, if you were going to sort of try to pick on somebody else. I did try to look to see if there was anyone else. Uh, you know, Marty Herney. His first stint as the GM was so kind of long ago. I don't even right. know what to make of that. But in more recent times, he drafted a couple guys from Maryland in one specific year. And I know Maryland has a safety in Nick Cross, yeah. um, who, who's interesting. And they have, I, I, I would say, a need at safety. So that might be a school to keep in mind for Herney, who, for what it's worth, is a local guy. He is from here, not just <laughs> working here. He's actually from here. I, I doubt that influences anything. But, hey, why not? Sure. It's always going to leave no stone unturned uh, from that standpoint. So uh, you mentioned safety as a potential need. What would you say are the three biggest needs for this team as we sit here in early April? Well, I think from the outside, I think you kind of have to say wide receiver slash offensive playmaker. Now, look, they have Terry McLaurin. They have Antonio Gibson and they have Curtis Samuel, who obviously didn't do anything last year because of injuries. And they do have some other pieces that they do. They still like Uh, De'Ami Brown. They drafted in the third round last year. Cam Sims, a guy who's got really like that red zone size. I always wish they would throw the ball to him more. And they did keep him knowing like a one year, $3 million kind of deal. So I think they recognize they want to get him the ball as well. I could argue that that's their group. Oh, well, let me, let me not forget. They, they kept JD McKissick as people might've heard yeah. with a, with a sort of a crazy reversal this off season in free agency. So I'm not saying that's like the most dynamic group, but that's not a bad group. All things considered. They also have Logan Thomas, but he's coming off an ACL. And I do wonder about a tight end. But ultimately, though, other than McLaurin, there is no other receiver that you can say, particularly on the outside, that is a proven guy, mm-hmm. right? Which is why when you look at this draft, you think, wow, at 11, you could be looking at Garrett Wilson or Drake London. We mentioned Chris Olave. There's other guys you know, in this first round class as well. So I think playmaker somewhere on offense, receiver would be the obvious one. The question I would have is how much do they still think that De'Ami Brown slash Cam Sims, if that is good enough, um, especially now that you have a guard guy in Carson Wentz who's going to be able to get the ball down the field in ways they couldn't last year. Mm. So I I would put receiver first. I don't know 100% if they agree with me, but I'd probably put that first. Um, if, if we flip it to the defense, well, I would say just to stay on offense, their offensive line, yeah. I wouldn't be stunned about guard. Now, maybe not at 11, 
but it wouldn't be surprised me if they did it either if they traded down or in round two. They obviously lose Brandon Sheriff in the offseason. Um, they they have Wes Schweitzer to, to plug in for him, and they signed Andrew Norwell to play at the left guard spot. Yeah, I mean, I, I think they could do more. I think, they, I think there's room for an upgrade, mm-hmm. and I think there's an opportunity there to draft some offensive line to help that out. And then just quickly defensively, they're lacking a, a, a third linebacker. Now, they typically play a lot of sub packages, and they also need – that fifth defensive back. They let Landon Collins go. They don't have a replacement. He kind of was sort of both the third linebacker and the, the fifth defensive back. Oh. So I don't think 11 is going to make a ton of sense for them at linebacker. Having just taken Jamin Davis a year ago round two, though, I think there's some guys like uh, Chad Muma from Wyoming and Troy Anderson from Montana state that I think could make a lot of sense. And then there's defensive backs, even at 11 that you could justify probably taking. So those would probably be the areas I would think, from the high end, there's depth issues in spots, but those would be sort of the the starting roles I think they could look at. Yeah, I think if you look at the two pro days, like you said, that Ron Rivera went to, uh, can address uh, some of those needs for certain, you know, wide receiver, playmaker, uh, and then also in defensive backfield between Ohio State uh, and Cincinnati. Uh, both both teams uh, have some options there uh, on both sides of the football. Uh, you already talked about need versus best player available. This team would trend more towards need. Let's get into some of these specific players, and you've mentioned a couple. Is there a guy or two that are being mocked to Washington right now that uh, you feel make a lot of sense based off everything that you've just kind of laid out for us? Well, it's funny, right? All the mocks for the first two months of the mock draft season all had quarterbacks. Every it was just simple. Right. Just put give them Kenny Pickett or Malik Willis, call it a day. And then they Washington ruined that by trading for Carson Wentz. And I think some people were still kind of going there. To me, it just became you've already made this commitment to this Carson Wentz thing. You need to see it through. Why draft a guy who, if the best case scenario is he never plays for two years, that just doesn't make a lot of sense. Invest in Carson Wentz. You've already gone down that route. And now Ron Rivera has more or less said as much. So, yeah, now the question is what happens? Wide receiver is now, I think, become the new quarterback when it comes to Washington's options. Um, you know, Drake London and Garrett Wilson are very different types of receivers. I, I kind of like Drake London. Uh, I'm curious to, to, to w- how you would evaluate th- those guys. But um, those two guys make they, they, they make sense uh, positionally the, from a talent perspective, kind of where the board is. So I don't have an issue – with that i think the the derek stingley he's sort of right becoming the cornerback that's coming off the board after sauce gardner he's doing his pro day today as as we're talking yeah yeah yeah, this week and the question is you know how is he doing health-wise he's obviously had some injuries i was i just did sort of my own mock draft on my podcast i gave him i gave them stingley at 11 Mm was doing the podcast with somebody and then we sort of talked myself out of it and sw- <laughs> and switched to Garrett Wilson. I guess my only question for Stingley between the injuries and he was more of a man corner in college and Washington played a lot of zone. Yep. That was an, that was an issue they had last year with William Jackson and I sort of torn on that. So without knowing what Washington thinks of him from the injury and the scheme standpoint, I was like, all right, fine. Let me go with another Ohio state receiver. Tough. Oh, oh well, I guess that's a, you know, what, what a tough way to go. So I think either of those guys, make a lot of sense. Um, I think what gets interesting is if the quarterbacks or the defensive end market does really heat up and there's teams that want to trade up, can Washington trade down? To me, that's the number one goal, but we'll see. You mentioned Drake London at the top, and I I, I was thinking about this in regards to Washington a, a couple of weeks ago, uh, you know, when 
when Ron Rivera was there, I mean, Kelvin Benjamin, uh, Devin Funches, two receivers that, you know, coming out had very similar kind of skill sets and vibes as Drake London. Now, neither of those picks worked out, but I kind of wonder uh, how would Marty Herney and uh, and Ron Rivera look at that pick uh, with Drake London? Would you say, hey, well, let's go back to that well, or is, oh, well, let's go with more uh, of the separator? Um, you know, and obviously he was, uh, you know, at the Ohio State Pro Day for Olave and Wilson. So uh, I think that's a, a good point from your part. Um, Dave Aranda, uh, who was the defensive coordinator for Derek Stingley uh, when he had that great freshman year. I believe he's, him and, uh, and Ron Rivera are pretty close. So I kind of wonder if you get some of that intel there, if you want to go lean back towards the, uh, the, the Stingley pick. But um, I'm interested to see which direction they go. Is there a guy, I mean, you mentioned quarterback, uh, maybe potentially being out the window at this point. Is there any position where you're like, yeah, I just don't see them going down that road at number 11? Uh, and by the way, they, they also drafted DJ Moore, right? So another yeah. receiver that they that they uh, that they took. Um, so, I mean, the only position that I, I would say would be sort of I can't comprehend would be defensive end. And that is a right, position right. where those guys are coming off the board. Jermaine Johnson. I mean, maybe Kayvon Thibodeau, if he were to slide that to me would be well, how, how does that work? You know, because you already yeah. have Chase Young and Montez Sweat. But that, that that's kind of it. I mean, early on in the mock draft process, you know, Devin Lloyd or Nicobe Dean. I don't know where you had them on your board, but a lot of the big boards had them as like top 10 players, just independent of anything else. But Washington just spent a first round pick last year on exactly. Jamie Davis. And yeah. they got to, that obviously has not, you know, he still has room to grow. So I don't know if they're going to make that investment another linebacker. So even though it would make sense for their needs to do that, I don't know if that makes a ton of sense beyond that. I think kind of anything is in play. It just feels like on most boards, receiver defensive line, pass rushers, corners they seem to be the groups that are are in that range and i think they could really kind of go with with any of those guys i'm not really sure off the top of my head here if there's anybody else i can think of that is sort of being projected in that eight to 15 range that i would like eh, that do you doesn't think make they, do you too think much they'd be sense. a candidate to trade down ben well to me the answer would be yes i, I guess my only wonder is how uh it's not an outside the box thing to do that but you have to be willing to sort of see like do you get so caught up in no i want the best player versus hey let's go kind of do what the eagles just did let's get get some picks for next year as well and i think what's interesting about this draft if you do want a receiver or cornerback or offensive line the you know unless you just think garrett wilson and drake london is that much better than chris olave or jameson williams coming off his injury or that much better of as a prospect than a Kenyon Green, the guard from from Texas A&M. Or now, hey, the linebackers are do, maybe do make a little more sense in that range where Devin Lloyd could be. Uh, to me, that would make so much sense. The question is, can you find that trade partner? And right. I, the quarterback thing is so interesting. I'm sort of in the camp that I don't know if I'm really buying them going off early. Thus, don't know if there's going to be a huge rush to get them. I think maybe the pass rusher is the one that becomes interesting. If one of those guys is still there at 11, can you convince somebody, Hey, Baltimore's picking at 14, you know, they want a pass rusher, you know, maybe uh, Minnesota 12 or, or Cleveland. you want to jump ahead? That might be the one that, that maybe gets some teams going, but we'll see. Interesting. Well, Ben, thanks so much for joining us here uh, for the blueprint on the journey of the draft podcast. We got everybody make sure you go check out Ben's work at the athletic or on Twitter at Ben standing. Ben, thanks so much. We'll talk to you again soon. Fran, thanks for having me on. Eagles fans, Merrill Reese here to tell you about the Eagles Autism Challenge presented by Lincoln Financial Group. 
This annual Ride, Run, Walk event supports autism research and programming as we work hard every day to advance the conversation from awareness to action. This year's event will take place on Saturday, May 21st at Lincoln Financial Field. With your support, we can help transform the lives of individuals affected by autism. Register today at eaglesautismchallenge.org. Now it's time for Draft Buzz. All right, time now for Draft Buzz as I welcome in my friend Ben Fennell. And Ben, uh, as the uh, LSU Pro Day comes to a close, which I'm sure we will talk about uh, as we preview the defensive backs uh, next week here on the show, uh, let's get into one exercise that's always fun. And that's where we kind of have like these prospect pairings where we say, hey, if you miss on this guy in the first round, you can get this guy on day two or this guy on day three because there's a similar kind of skill set, just in in maybe a different package or obviously not quite as talented, but similar kind of style, similar kind of usage. And so one example that right off the top of my head uh, comes to mind, right, would be, hey, if you miss out on Kyle Hamilton on day one, talented safety, Notre Dame. Let's look at Tyson Anderson, the safety from Toledo, because uh, another kind of safety that uh, long, rangy, lo- really long arms. You'll love his wingspan. He can match up with tight ends. He can play from depth. Uh, he tested extremely well. You know, so that same kind of conversation you have with Kyle. Hey, if you like Kyle Hamilton, well, you might like what you get there in the middle rounds uh, with Tyson Anderson from Toledo. Is there one off the top of your head? I want to get each of us will give three here. Is there one that you want to lead off with uh, with that discussion? Yeah, you know me. I love this exercise, love this line of thinking and coming up with day three versions of the higher level prospects. And um, there's some clear corners that I think there's some different tiers of very similar type of players. And I'll do you one better here. I'll give you a day two and a day three version Uh, of of a top level player, because I always got to give a little extra here. Always working hard. Everyone knows Amon Gardner, very likely to be corner one here. I think Kyrie Eel is the day two version of Gardner. Tall, long, skinny, pressability, speedy, very aggressive, can play off coverage. And then on day three, I'm taking Joshua Williams out of Fayetteville State. Same type of guy. Tall, long, speedy and press coverage, typewriter feet, very aggressive, that lean, slender, long frame. Gardner in the first, clearly is going to happen, probably top 10. It's okay. Come back around in round two, grab Elam from Florida, maybe round five, six, Joshua Williams at Fayetteville State. Three corners, very similar players, different tiers of the draft. Yeah, it's it's perfect. This is like the ex- exact scenario that I, I want to talk about. I think when you look, if you if you like Ahmad Gardner, chances are you really like Kyrie Elam, you really like Joshua Williams. You're just taking those players at different areas of the draft. I'm glad I started hot there. I'm really going to mail them the next uh, two. I, okay. it's, only, it's only downhill <laughs> for you, so I'll do that exactly where you go. Uh, for me, I'm going to go to the offensive line, and it's one that a comparison we've made a couple times here on the show over the last few weeks, and that's uh, Iki Aquanu, the left tackle from NC State, big, physical, mauler. Uh, you know, you love the athleticism, the ability to get out in space, but just, an, just ridiculously fun to watch at the point of attack. Well, let's go Tyler Smith from Tulsa, another left tackle, redshirt sophomore who declared for this draft. Not quite as nimble as Iquano. That's the that's the difference. That's why he's more of a, a late first round or getting into day two type of pick as opposed to a top five, top ten selection. But I think when you look at Tyler Smith, the way that he plays the game mirrors the way that Aquanu plays the game. He wants to embarrass you as a defender. So I, I think if you miss out on Aquanu at the top of the first round, you want to come back around, to, whether it's maybe early day two uh, and get Smith, uh, that's the, the, the to me that 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 home cooking works. Uh, I think if you're looking at it from that standpoint, uh, what's the next one for you? Yeah, it's a good one there, Fran. Really like that. I'll join you in an offensive line conversation right. that I kind of just put together today. 
And while I think he's a top 30 player, it's been interesting to see him fall out of some mocks in the first round now. But Mississippi State's Charles Cross, really interesting player, long, lean, high cut, great footwork, can recover independent hand usage. The more I'm watching Zach Tom out of Wake Forest, they look very similar. Interesting. Height, weight, speed, the way they're cut, their hips are very high cut, lean lower half, functional hand usage, can react to all sorts of counter moves and multiple pass rush moves, a little underwhelming, underpowered uh, in the run game. I feel like Zach Tom is a really nice round three, round four option. Very likely Charles Cross is going to go from, you know, 15 to 30 all intense. So if you don't get Cross at Mississippi State, Zach Tom, who might have a little more positional flex as he spent time at center and right tackle than Cross, who's been a mainstay left tackle. Zach Tom, Wake Forest, don't forget about him. I love that. That's a that's a good one. I had not thought of uh, at all. That's a really good comparison. Um, for me, I'm going to go back to the secondary. I'm going to go back to the cornerback spot. Uh, Roger McCreary, uh, a player from Auburn, we'll say like late first round, early second round, it seems like he's going to go off the board, right? Uh, and when you look at McCreary from the strength standpoint, really instinctive, plays the ball pretty well in the air, but really tough and physical and just a, a really scrappy competitive corner uh, that checks a lot of boxes. But the big question. Uh, not not a, uh, a really impressive frame, and the short arms are going to are going to get them dinged right under twenty nine inch arms. Which there's only been one corner drafted in the last decade that have had arms that short. And it was last year, uh, Avery Williams, the Boise State corner. So I think when you look at McCreary, the frame is the question, and he's not a, a top end speed guy. He ran low four fives uh, out in Indianapolis. To me, you miss out on McCreary. Well, let's get into maybe day two, potentially early day three with Penn State's Tariq Castro Fields, who is very similar from a height, weight, speed standpoint. I think when you look at Castro Fields, uh, he's under 200 pounds. He also has very short arms under he's just around 30 and a half inches. So only about a half an inch there uh, on McCreary. But I think when you look at Castro Fields, the big question again that you have. The top end speed, he's not like that straight burner that's going to carry every ver- receiver vertically. Um, and you also would say, okay, well, uh, the the uh, the body type is the big question. But when you look at him, really instinctive, really experienced, uh, really tough and physical and scrappy. I love the instincts on him in man coverage. I, really, I think he's got a great feel in zone as well. So I think when you look at McCreary, you look at Castro Fields, a lot of the same things that you say in the strengths and weaknesses category, to me, that that, that was one that made sense. Yeah, two very experienced players there in a similar height, weight, speed, skill set package. That's a perfect one for this exercise. I'll go with one that anyone that's been following the podcast or me on Twitter knows I've been banging this drum for, I feel like, two years now. Aiden Hutchinson, Michigan, likely going one overall, maybe two, maybe three, top five consensus. We'll circle back around on day three, the Mountain West version of Aiden Hutchinson. That's Cam Thomas out of San Diego State. If you, uh, did, if also, you did not say him, I was going to rip you. I was going to say, it better, it better be Cameron Thomas. <laughs> Violent edge setter in the run game, mismatch against tight ends, a lot of positional versatility, which Hutchinson played up and down the line early in his career as well and those exotic kind of uh, third-down pressure schemes from Donna Brown, you know, mixing in with Yuchi and Quiddy Pay. He was given money more one-on-one opportunities this year. Cam Thomas, same thing San Diego State. He lines up at zero, lines up at three-tech, plays with his hair on fire. Listen, neither of these guys have twitched. Neither of these guys have a lot of flexibility. They're going to go right through you with heavy hands, power rushes, and play absolutely to the echo of the whistle. Cam Thomas reminds me a little of a, you know, a Carl Nassib type of guy. Really long, really powerful. I think he's going to be a great rotational piece uh, for a defensive line group. So you don't get Aiden Aiden Hutchinson with the top five picks there. 
come back around round four, round five, Cam Thomas, very productive player. I love that. And again, it's just a fun exercise. We can go on and on and on, but I just wanted to, I figured each of us can give three examples and yeah, I'm sure out there, uh, our listeners might have some examples that they want. So if you, uh, if you have some, make sure you hit us up on Twitter, uh, and give us your example. Of, you know, Fran, I had one an extra one here. I was going to do Drake London, Devin Williams. And I was just thinking Devin Williams, a USC transfer to Oregon. Both these guys were on USC at six, five, two ten. I mean, he's got tight. Yeah, yeah right. tall, tall, long glass of water is there. That receiving court. Yeah, I'm sure they were looking up at Dwayne Jarrett posters, uh, you know, when they were uh, going into for their sure, find ways to squeeze in an extra one in there. <laughs> uh, all right, <laughs> let's go to our uh, our mock draft roundup. Last week we hit on the uh, the the beat writer mock draft from the Athletic, where they went around all 32 writers covering every market. We're going back to the Athletic this week. This time, uh, a mock draft from Bruce Feldman, who is uh, from my you know for, for you know from my point of view the best when it comes to uh, covering college football. Uh, super, super tied in. And to me, like when Bruce Feldman speaks, we listen when it comes to college football. Now, what I love about this idea with this mock draft, man, is that, you know, who Bruce Feldman talks to. Yeah, there's going to be some carryover to who some of the NFL insiders and uh, draft analysts, they all talk to. But there's going to be some different voices in there as well, because Bruce spends his entire year uh, talking with college coaches from all around the country. So I'm just really excited. I was really excited when this one dropped on Monday uh, to really dive into this one. Yeah, you know, Bruce has contacts. He has sources. He's very in the know. And it's not just, you know, the coaches of the world, Fran. He's tight with the guys that are have the gritty information, you know, the strength right. and conditioning coaches. He knows who comes late for workouts, who is an incredible, you know, guy for his freak list articles that come out every summer. Yep. He talks to academic advisors. So he's very in the know once you get around these campuses and who knows these kids better than those you know, people around those players for the last three, four, five years on their college campus. Sometimes you have to understand, I don't know everything. Let me go and reach out to some of these programs that are closer to these kids. And nobody does it better than Bruce. So this mock draft dropped, obviously, before the Eagles trade with New Orleans Saints. So this will be the last mock draft that we do here for this podcast, uh, where the Eagles have three first round picks. But I felt like it was still it was that that's how good this mock draft was that I wanted to make sure we we still hit on this. So three Eagles picks that we'll hit on uh, 15th overall cornerback Trent McDuffie. And here's the blurb here uh, from Bruce. And it starts off with what Bruce thinks. And it's followed by some anonymous quotes from coaches. So he called it the coaching intel. So uh, from Bruce, he said the Eagles need a lot of help in the secondary opposite Darius Slay. And they have two strong choices here in McDuffie and Kyler Gordon, the other Washington corner. Both have been well coached and are excellent technicians, although the five foot 11, 193 pound McDuffie lacks the length of Gardner and Stingley. He's exceptionally quick and is a good tackler. Here's the coaching intel. Three quotes here from coaches that Bruce has talked to. I was very impressed with both Washington corners. They compete. They're consistent. Sometimes you have a real cover cornerback, but he isn't a really physical player. McDuffie is. And then the last one here, he's so technically sound. It's hard to get anything big on him. And really, Ben, uh, studying Trent McDuffie this week, I mean, he didn't give up any big plays like at all. And that's really the one thing that stands out most to me uh, about watching him. I want to get your thoughts on, on Trent McDuffie. You feel like he's fine to play outside, right? Like he's not just a slot guy in your mind. Obviously he's a little bit smaller uh, than these other corners we're talking about at the top of the draft, but uh, what are your thoughts there on McDuffie and his transition to the league? Yeah. I don't see any issues with his speed or his athleticism or length to carry things vertically on the outside against some of these bigger receivers. I think his play strength is outstanding. And that helps him kind of connect some of the dots with maybe the length limitations or the size limitations. I think he's really tough. He's technically sound and he has all the tools to, you know, get the job done from an athletic perspective. So Washington plays a variety of different defensive schemes out there. A lot of press man on third down, but some exotic zones. 
an early first and second down where he has to be a tough guy in the flat or maybe do some side saddle bail stuff, variety of schemes, special teams, speed. He checks a lot of boxes in my opinion. I think Trent McDuffie would not only be a great fit here in Philadelphia, I think 31 other teams would probably welcome welcome uh, Trent McDuffie with open arms. I, I like the last name too, uh, for what it's worth. Uh, for me, let's get <laughs> to the, the 16th pick here. Georgia linebacker, Nicobe Dean. Here's the blurb from Bruce. Dean is a winner and was the cerebral leader of the national champions, a mechanical engineering major with a 3-5 GPA. He really impressed NFL coaches in their meetings at the Combine. He's a little undersized at 5'11", 229 pounds with 31 and 7-8 inch arms, but he runs very well, plays faster than all time. The 2021 Butkus Award winner led the Bulldogs in tackles for loss with 10 and a half and was second on the team in sacks with six. He also had 31 quarterback hurries, six pass breakups, and two interceptions. Here's the coaching intel. Uh, three uh, uh, anonymous quotes here from coaches. He's an absolute monster, man. His closing speed is tremendous. We put our running back in fast motion and threw him a swing screen. Dean ran him down with stride for stride, made the tackle in open space. Our back is really fast, and that play should have gone for at least 20. Instead, it was a one-yard gain. The next one here, I think there's some pass coverage concerns with him, maybe at the next level, but he's just so instinctual. He made a play on a screen where the guy should have walked into the end zone, but he just beat all the O-linemen and slipped through. You could see his leadership and communication skills on film, and tell, and you could tell his extreme passion for the game. And then the last quote, he's a real field general. The guy is just so smart. He plays more proactively than reactively. I thought he got away with some things because he's just so instinctive. Sometimes he doesn't take the right steps, but he could get away with it at the next level. He might not. So uh, I thought that was just a really interesting analysis there on the Kobe Dean and really kind of bringing the light, Ben, uh, some of the things that really make him stand out and make him the prospect that he is when you talk about the intangible aspect of his game. Yeah, I just love how smart he is. I love his leadership, both on the field, off the field. Again, mentioned whether it's interviews or SEC media day. Uh, he's just a guy that's kind of a CEO player for your organization. Okay. The thing I love about Georgia, despite having, you know, Dean, who's a freak show, and Lewis Seen back there, and Jordan Davis, oh, Trayvon Walker, and Devontae Wyatt, and Nolan Smith, and all these freak show five-star athletes that have really impressed us in shorts and T-shirts, this is a technically sound and very disciplined defensive unit. They are extremely coached well, and that really starts interiorly, you know, from the Kobe Dean being the captain of that defense, getting guys lined up in a variety of different schemes, a lot of exotic stuff, a lot of movement pre and post snap. He's the captain to get guys lined up. He's the captain to hold guys accountable, like getting in Channing Tindall's face in the national championship game. It's that type of fire and that type of leadership that really excites me about Dean. Yes, he is a freak athlete. He's explosive. He's going to make a lot of plays. But he's so smart. He's such a leader. He's a guy that you just want to be that nucleus for a defensive unit. And what I love, too, is Tyndall's reaction in that moment is that that kind of speaks to the culture they have in that room. But also that also speaks mm-hmm. to Dean's leadership, mm-hmm. too, because you could chew guys out and guys can just go in the tank. Right. Like you, you could chew a guy out. And now he's like he's got his head down and, and he screws up the next play. He pushed those buttons with Tyndall and knew like, what did Tyndall do on the very next play? He's down there uh, chasing the quarterback down, forcing was it an intentional grounding or a sack uh, on the very next play. Right. So I think when you look at Dean, it's like, yeah, like he knew the button to push with Channing Tyndall to light that fire under his button, get him to get do things the right way. Uh, to me, that again, that kind of speaks uh, to that leadership and what he brings to the table. Well, uh, another Georgia Bulldog here with the 19th pick, this pick here, Devontae Wyatt, the defensive tackle. Here's the blurb from Bruce. Could the Eagles take a wide out in the first round for the third consecutive year? I went back and forth on whether they'd snag Arkansas's Traylon Burks, but I think they would keep loading up on defense. I see three good candidates here that include Oklahoma's Perry and Winfrey and Georgia linebacker Quay Walker, but 
I think it will be Wyatt. He's a freaky big athlete at 304 pounds, ran the 40 in the mid four sevens at 477. He has elite lateral quickness and good change of direction. You'd probably like him to have more length. His arms mentioned 32 and 58 inches, but many think there's still a lot of untapped potential and that he didn't quite get the hype he merited because he played on a loaded front seven in Athens. Here's two quotes about Devontae Wyatt from Bruce. He's an incredible athlete at that size. He's not the talent that 88, who's Jalen Carter, we'll talk about him next year, uh, is. That guy's a monster, but Wyatt's really impressive. He's still pretty raw, but he's very violent and disruptive, and he's faster than a lot of linebackers. The second quote, I thought he was okay. You were so worried about 99, Jordan Davis and 88, that you didn't worry about him, but he's very solid. So, uh, Ben, we've talked about Devontae Wyatt. I think it's been two weeks now uh, in this segment. Wyatt was mocked to the Eagles, so he's quietly starting to become uh, one of the favorites from, from mock drafters uh, to end up here in Philadelphia. Yeah, I think the proverbial dancing panda of this group, a guy that's really heavy up top with very light feet, kind of lean lower half, quick off the ball and a single gap scheme. I just see him being an absolute wrecking ball at three tech, a guy that can get after the passer, exceptional range. He's a guy that's really tough, can hold up double teams. All these Georgia guys, you know, some of the intangible stuff, these guys get up off the ground. These guys play so hard, so tough. All of these guys are willing to get punched in the face while coming forward. And I think that's going to be really infectious, whether it's a Dean or a Devontae Wyatt. All right. So one of the things we love about this piece is just the amount of nugget. And again, if you have not read it, make sure you go on, check out the athletic. If you don't have the athletic, I don't know what you're doing, but uh, just go into the athletic, check out this piece. There are a bunch of really interesting nuggets and some of them are just like quick little one liners. Uh, and so I thought, all right, let me, let me, Ben and I will share one nugget that we like from an offensive player and one from a defensive player. Uh, for me, like this, and this is a rehashing. This is one that has been out there. But anytime we talk about Trevor Penning and the legend of him watching Saw movies on his phone uh, before games, <laughs> Bruce has uh, uh, Trevor Penning going to the Steelers at 20 overall. Like anytime we could talk about that story, uh, I, I eat it up. I think it's hilarious. And it just kind of speaks <laughs> to this kid's uh, kind of uh, mentality, which is it's, it's pretty funny note. You know, uh, I'm going to go with uh, Ohio State receiver Garrett Wilson here, who I thought had a great nugget here. I just love the way it's described in these two sentences. Quote, he's really tough in one-on-one matchups. He's so twitchy, bouncy, explosive. His amazing ability to decelerate as fast as he does, where it's that stop on a dime. You think he's going to tear his ACL. It's wild. He's like a rubber band. And I just think that's just so fun with Garrett Wilson. And, you know, him running 4-3-8 or whatever doesn't excite me. It's his burst. It's his twitch. It's his winning at the top of routes, him decelerating, having body control, start, stop. That's what entails getting open. 4-3 does not help you get open. Having start, stop, being able to run real quick, throttle that down, get in and out of breaks, accelerate out of breaks, and catch the football. That's embodied right here in this statement. He's a really tough in one-on-one matchups through and through because of all that. Not his 4-3 speed. But his twitchiness, his explosiveness, the deceleration, the body control, the stopping on a dime, the being the, quote, rubber band, that's Garrett Wilson. Mm, I love it. How about defensively? Is there a line that uh, really stood out to you about a defensive prospect? Well, some of these, you know, just by default, I, you know, put my kind of Nancy Drew hat on and I want to figure out who is Bruce talking to Uh, here? What coach was this from? So I just love the. The, the quote here from Ahmad Gardner going number seven overall to the New York Giants, which is scary to see him in our division uh, here with the Philadelphia Eagles. But, quote, I thought he was really I thought he was very good, but I didn't know how good he was because nobody ever really went after him. We didn't want to. We put a slapstick receiver over there the whole game and never looked at him. He's imposing. His parameters are elite in terms of size, range, speed. 
So I just love that kind of quote from a, a slapstick receiver over there. And I'm just wondering, who was that? And there was only one game this year where Lamont Garner didn't have a target. And that could have been that SMU game. So we'll see if maybe that was an SMU coach out there uh, talking about their experience with Ahmad Gardner, which was a popular way to kind of approach him, you know, put a wide corner, a uh, wide receiver out there on him and never look over there and play 10 on 10 kind of with the rest of the guys. So uh, it's kind of fun to kind of dig through and who maybe is uh, talking to Bruce with these quotes. It just made it tough. Like when you're going back to study Gardner and you're like, Oh, like let's get a good sense of his ball skills and all of his, uh, like ball disruptions come where he's like in underneath zone and someone, uh, the quarterback's throwing like a crossing route and it's overthrown and there, and there's Gardner, right? Like right. So just, you can't, you don't get a sense of like, Oh, like how good is he at finding the ball late downfield? Cause he just wasn't, he wasn't challenged. It, it makes it, uh, it makes it difficult. But I agree. That line was, uh, was really funny. Um, for me, uh, uh, Bruce had the the New England Patriots taking Quay Walker at 21 overall. And this one line, uh, some inside the Georgia program expect Quay Walker to be a better NFL player than N'Kobe Dean. Uh, that one uh, stood out to me. And again, we talked about it with Greg a couple weeks ago here on the show. Uh, divisive opinions there on Quay Walker. Some really, really high on him. Um, some question whether or not he can make that successful jump. So uh, I thought that was a, an interesting note, an interesting nugget there uh, from Bruce. Last one here, Ben. Which line in this mock draft just made you go, huh? And just say like, oh, this is this is an interesting one to just kind of file away. Uh, was there one that, that really could have stood out to you from that standpoint? You know, in that same sentiment, last one, I'm just trying to figure out who was talking about a player in this regard. Which game was this? And I'm going to George Karlaftis. And I thought the quote there was kind of interesting because, quote, we thought Karlaftis was going to be a maniac, but he didn't do that much in our game. Really strong, tough, but not super athletic. We were planning on double teams, being strategic in our rush plan, but our tap our tackles were able to match his physicality. So my challenge to listeners who've watched the Carl Laftis tape, what tape out there do you feel like he struggled the most? What tape did you feel like they didn't have to scheme a lot of protection, send those extra chippers, slide protection to him? I'm kind of thinking it might be that Ohio State game, mm. if I just had to give a guess off the top of my head. But George Carl Laftis, strong player very productive over the last three years. The COVID year was kind of his down year. Ohio State game, a lot of eyeballs on him that week. Maybe didn't live up to the hype. So also wondering maybe where these quotes are coming from for a George Carl Aftis. Uh, for me, uh, going right to the top, second pick overall, uh, he uh, Bruce had the, the Detroit Lions taking Trayvon Walker from Georgia. But the, I think the first line in the blurb was, there's buzz that the Lions may grab a quarterback here. And again, they, uh, that's why I, I would not well, – I'm fascinated to see where these quarterbacks go off the board. Uh, Detroit has been connected to Malik Willis uh, time and time again throughout the course of the offseason. Obviously, they coached him down in Mobile. Uh, I'm fascinated, Ben, to just see how, when these quarterbacks go off the board. We talked about it earlier this week with Craig. Um, does that start at two and then can he, we see Kenny Pickett go at six or does that happen a little bit later? Does Detroit decide, Hey, let's trade up from 32 and try and get Malik Willis ahead of, of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, we get into the teens, that kind of scenario. Fascinated to see how this all pans out with these guys. Yeah, absolutely. Quarterback two overall, that would uh, definitely send some shock waves and some ripple effects of the top 10. All right. Uh, any players uh, that didn't go in this mock draft that stood out to you? I know that's something you like to look at. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like this is one of the first really credible mock drafts to not see Charles Cross in the first round. Mississippi yep. State left tackle falling to day two is really one of the first I've seen that. And the next five on my board, Fran, Lewis Seen out of Georgia, Travis Jones out of UConn, I think is a really interesting player to evaluate at 325. This guy ran 492 at 325. 
I mean, if this wasn't such a class loaded with freak shows, we'd be Davis talking more exist, about him. We'd be talking about Travis Jones, no doubt. No, no question. The next three, Jahan Dotson, Christian Harris, Jaquan Brisker, Boye Mafe. You got Booth and Elam still sitting on the board. So a lot of great value there at the top of the second round. If maybe you missed on a position in the first round, round two, there's a lot of day one starters. There's some high level starters. There's some positional depth. There's some role players. I'm so excited for rounds two and three. So that's part of my, you know, kind of solving this exercise and doing this. I love the, the mock one or the round one mock drafts. I love day two. So I just love seeing who may be there on day two, who's still left on the board, who has the best value based on my board and grades. Yeah, no doubt. It's uh, always fun to be able to follow. Obviously, we spend so much time talking about 32 picks, but uh, you know, when you get to those top 100, there's a reason why people drop the top 100 boards, and that's because uh, those top 100, when you get through rounds two and three, you're going to get some good talent uh, there on that day of the draft. Well, Ben, uh, we're all, like I said, we're only a couple of weeks away here uh, from draft weekend, so only a couple more weeks of doing these mock drafts. Uh, thanks so much for joining us once again. We will talk to you next week. We're doing DBs, me, you, and Dane uh, next Monday. Now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in the Draft Mailbag. Great stuff there from Ben. Let's now get into a couple questions here from our Draft Mailbag. And we're going to go to Apple Podcasts, where Dallas in need of food left a five-star review saying, "Longtime Dallas, Texas listener, and it's the best draft coverage out there. If you're a fan of the process, this is the podcast to listen to. I appreciate that. Thanks so much for that review. Here's the question here. Jerry Jones' comments after the playoff loss this year made it sound like he realizes that A, this team's clock is ticking, and B, his clock is ticking too. Thus, do you see him deviating from what they've done rather well in the past few drafts and simply draft to plug the gaping holes in the roster to make a run in 2022 and 2023? I'm afraid that they're going to draft a guard at 24 because it maximizes this team's potential this year. Talk me off the ledge and convince me that we'll take the most valuable player at 24 and not the best guard on the board. So, it's a good question. I, I think when you look at the Dallas Cowboys and, and the way that they have run the draft over the last few years, they've done an outstanding job. They've acquired so much talent on day one, day two, day three. They've done a really good job overall acquiring really good talent. But I think for the most part, they've been doing it through need uh, early on in the draft. I think if, I think if you look at most picks on day one and day two uh, for them, they have really kind of addressed some key needs uh, for their football team. So I don't think that that would be too far away from what they typically have done. Uh, I think when you look at Dallas and the way they've operated – Number one, they're obviously they're not scared off by any kind of red flag players, whether that's medical or character. Uh, they they operate mainly uh, with power five schools, name brand schools. Uh, they target uh, players that uh, toughness is a big part of, of a lot of the things they look for. So a lot of the guys they've taken high uh, have been tough physical football players. Uh, they like guys that fall out of round one, guys that, oh, they've, they've got round one talent, but for whatever reason, they fell to day two. We see that time and time and time again uh, with that team. Um, so to me, like I, I think that they're probably going to stick uh, to what they've done. We'll see if that if they deter at all. Um, but my guess is, look, this is a team that, you know, as you mentioned, they need some offensive line help. I would not be shocked if they take a pass rusher early in this draft, a corner early in this draft, a wide receiver early in this draft. So uh, they definitely have plenty of needs that they could potentially address. I'm interested to see which direction they go. Uh, I do agree that they're looking at that window and say, look, the time is now. We've got Dak Prescott. Uh, we don't know how much longer uh, he's going to be able to go. We want to make sure we capitalize on this window. Uh, you know, 
know, with the NFC being where it's at. So I think it's a, a really good question there. Uh, Dallas and Nito Food, thanks so much uh, for the five-star review. Last one here, JD left a five-star review saying, how much does your scheme on both sides of the football influence the value you place on certain prospects? It feels like everybody talks about this surface level, but never beyond that. So uh, JD, uh, that's a good question. And look, the... I'm assuming that you are a a newer listener uh, and not a a longtime listener because we try and hit on that as often as possible. I mean, we did it here in this episode, uh, talking with Greg and Pick 6 about how much your scheme and what you do uh, from an X's and O standpoint, how that informs the kind of players that you're bringing in. Ideally, your coaching staff and your front office, they're working in sync. They're working together to try and highlight these are the players that we, that not just that we need, but this this is the kind of player that would thrive in our system. This This is what would get a guy to be able to play on the field to the highest of their ability. So uh, to me, it's it's extremely important. It is not just as simple as, hey, we're gonna, we need a receiver. Who's the top receiver? No, you, you are looking for what exactly fits your system, uh, what you're looking for from a philo- philosophical standpoint, who are the players you already have in their, on your depth chart in that meeting room. Huge, huge part uh, of that whole equation. Actually, we do have one more question here. So thanks, JD, uh, for that five-star review. Last one. Uh, Brandon Jacobs, uh, I'm assuming not the former Giants running back, uh, left a five-star review uh, on Apple saying, uh, when is your corner preview episode coming out? Really want to get more intel on that position for the Eagles in this draft. I love both Ahmad Gardner and Derek Stingley Jr. and hope that we get either one. Brandon, uh, your your luck is is here because guess what? Uh, we are, uh, are going to be talking corners and safeties next week right here on the Journey of the Draft podcast. Myself, Dane Brugler, Ben Fennell, Dane's back. The Beast, by the time you're listening to this podcast, I believe The Beast will be out on The Athletics. So make sure you go check that out. Dane's pride and joy that he has spent the last calendar year working on. It's thousands and thousands and thousands of words on this draft class. So make sure you go check that out. Uh, Again, the cornerback preview. We'll be talking corners and safeties next week right here on the Journey of the Draft podcast presented by LifeBrand.